Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Emily Peterson, broadcasting to you live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is, I think we're on episode 50. Jack, is this episode 50? It's either 50 or 51. I lost track somewhere along the line. And part of that is because we've I've made a major life purchase with my husband this week, and it's put everything into a little bit of perspective about where I am in my life. We bought a new car, which this is the third car that I've bought. And well, I, I only own one at a time, but I bought and sold cars. And this was the first time that the the uh, prediction of a police officer had came true. I had a very sporty little car when I was pregnant with my son, and it only had two doors. And the police officer said when he was installing my car seat for me, because I live in a place where police officers will take an appointment and they'll put your car seat in to make sure that you do it right. And he said, you'll be back. And I said, no, I won't. I grew up in a two-door car. My parents had a two-door car. My husband's parents had a two-door car. We'll be fine. And he kind of laughed and he looked at me and he said, now that I have my kids, when we need a car, I just Google what's the biggest car and then I buy it because you're going to be back. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not. I'm totally, that's not going to happen. Three days later, which was then three days before I went into labor, we were back because we had bought a RAV4, which is what we are currently driving. And we purchased it as a lease and never having leased a car before. I thought 36,000 miles in three years, that seems totally reasonable. We've already been through 32,000 of them and then we've only had the car for two years. So we had to get out of that car. And so... We had the opportunity to purchase a new car. It's actually a, new to us. It's old. It's somebody else's car, which I'm now owning that I am a suburban mother because it is a Honda Pilot and it is enormous. I can lay down the seats in the back and lay perfectly flat and not have my head or my toes touch either the passenger seat or the back of the tailgate, which is kind of amazing because I'm six feet tall. So... There are three rows of seats. There's no DVD player because that's where I drew the line. There was another very similar one and it had a DVD player in the back. And I was like, no, kids need to learn to be bored. And being in the backseat on road trips is an excellent opportunity to figure out how to occupy yourself and not get dropped off at the nearest rest stop. We used to drive to Maine when I was when I was a kid and we learned how to like look out the window and appreciate reading. And we, you know, I'm not opposed to iPads, but the DVD player, it was like something inside of me was like, that's I, we are not that family. Um, that being said, if you want to do an inventory about like what your five year plan should be, go through the process of purchasing a car because it'll tell you everything you need to know about who you think you're going to be in the time that you own this car. So for example, my new car has a tow hitch, not because I own a boat or an RV or a pop-up camper, but I want to. I want to be the kind of person who tows things. So, you know, and it has leather seats because you can wipe 
sippy cup detritus off of leather seats. They also happen to be heated, which is going to come in very handy in New Jersey in February. But it said a lot about who I thought I was when I heard myself, my inner voice say, oh, toe hitch. Yeah, that's what I want. So that's where I am. It was suppo- we were supposed to pick it up last night. And so I cleaned out the car that we currently have. And I was very, ex- you know, it was like stressful and it's a lot of money and we have to sign all these papers and the car insurance company and all this stuff. And then I found out we can't actually get it until the weekend. So it was a little bit deflated anyway. But I will be, um, I will be the suburban mom in the Honda Pilot in the Stop and Shop parking lot now. And it's, it's official that I have owned my new station in life, which I got to say is pretty good. So that being said, that's what I did with my weekend. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to answer a listener question. And the listener question this week comes from our producer, Jack. We'll do that after the break. But um, first, I want to bring on my guest, who is a wonderful – Can I, I, I'll ask her when she comes on the line if I can call her a celebrity chef. Her name is Tanya Holland, and she has a new book coming out called Brown Sugar Kitchen, the new style down-home recipes from – Sweet West Oakland. She's also a restaurateur, and I'm very excited to have her joining me all the way from the West Coast. Hi, Tanya. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Can I call you a celebrity chef? Uh, sure, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess so. You know, I don't refer to myself as that. It's so funny because I've seen um, lesser-known chefs call themselves that because I don't know. But... You know, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, you know, I tell people just just tell people you are what you want to be. Like if you want to be, uh, you know, if True. you want to be a chef, just say you're a chef. Or if you want to be a celebrity, I think nine tenths well, of it is just telling people that's what you are. Well, just call me Oprah then, okay? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. So tell me, um, tell me a little bit about your new book. I have to say that I traveled to New Orleans and I had I was there for five days, and I think I had some of the best food in my entire life packed into those five days. I bet you did. That is such an amazing city for food. I mean, it's just you. Five days is a long time. I don't know how. I mean. That's a long time to be eaten in New Orleans. <laughs> we were that's so funny you say that. We were there over New Year's Eve and I came home thinking wow. that I would never have to go back. I, I was like, that's all I <laughs> I never have to do that again. But it's like now it's under my skin and I really want to go back. But I could never live yeah. there because I think I'd be dead in five years of either like heart disease or alcoholism. Which would both be very pleasurable right. ways to go. Or but. Both. Right. <laughs> we go there in like three day stints. That's our, our max. Although part of us wants to live there, you know? It's just so amazing, the culture, the history. And um, my mother's from northern Louisiana, which is very different, but we still have a lot of the influences of that cooking. So that's how that got into my repertoire. And then how did you go? Did you grow up in northern Louisiana? No, I did not. I grew up in Rochester, New York. That's where my husband um, grew up. Who grew up there? My husband grew up on Park Avenue, right by the chocolate shop. Oh, wow. I used to live off of Park Avenue uh, after college. I moved back to Rochester for a little while. I love that area. It's beautiful. I think we would live there if it wasn't so cold. Did you guys ever, did he ever take you to the Parkway Pharmacy? No, I have to ask him about this. Oh, he's going to be so excited. (laughs) Yeah, it was a special sort of specialty uh, shop that it was a pharmacy, but they also had a lot of t- 
tabletop and kitchenware and, and, and gifts, and it was just, I loved it there. <laughs> oh, I have to ask him. Small world. So, okay, so you go to college, you go back to Rochester. What did you study in college? Right. Um, Russian language and literature. Wow, cool. <laughs> yeah, that always gets a little bit of a pause. It's a long story, which um, I don't know if we have enough time for it sure. today, but it was sort of, I just, you know, I love languages and, and studying culture, and I studied French and took Russian as an elective, um, but decided to major in that because I really liked my advisors, and, um, you know, it was just, a gate allowed me to take other electives that I wanted to take at the time as well, so. Did you have any indication that, that you were going to be a cook? No. You know, the indication probably started when I was much younger, although it wasn't a career that my family, you know, encouraged me to go into. But I was always playing with my miniature refrigerator stove and sink when I was growing up, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in grade school, in the garage. (laughs) So my mom could get me out of the kitchen because I was fascinated with what she was doing and getting my own little area. And um, But they also hosted these, uh, what they call the Gourmet Cooking Club, um, the entire time I was growing up with five other couples. And every month I met at a different couple's home, and the host couple would cook the main course, and it was soup to nuts, different cuisines from around the world, regional food. Um, so this ended up in my repertoire, and then in college, I was the one hosting dinner parties for my friends, and then I started working in restaurants, and... Still didn't really strongly consider, you know, that as a career option. When I moved back to Rochester, I was selling advertising space for the local newspaper. Then I moved to Manhattan and worked at an advertising firm. And then I had a part-time job um, that eventually led to becoming an office manager at a catering company. And that's where I just was like, okay, I fall in love with this industry. I love all the different aspects of it. What other training can I do to, you know, ensure that I would have success? And uh, I decided I wanted to be a restaurant tour. And uh, most of the successful restaurants I knew of, the chef was the owner. So I loved cooking and I loved France. And I decided to go to cooking school in France. And that's kind of how it, my career really started. Do you mind if I ask you how old you were when you went to culinary school? Sure. 25. So I was, that's, consider kind of late you know i didn't go till i was 28 and i tell people like i was one of the oldest people in the class but i thought it was great because i have a sort of similar story in that i think having had some life experience behind me that didn't have to do with being in a kitchen really made me more focused when i graduated from culinary school oh i completely agree i'm so glad i went and i'm glad that I was older, you know, a lot of people graduate from college and they do that European trip. Um, Not a lot of people, but, you know, people who are able to. And I think that's almost too young. I really appreciated my experience and my opportunity. You know what I mean? Right. Totally. So how did you end up in California? Uh, Well, I was working in sort of the triangle of New York, Boston, and Martha's Vineyard for about 10 years, just kind of moving around for different opportunities. And then... um, Lastly, I was in New York, and I just, you know, wasn't finding the opportunities that I wanted, and I was kind of um, debating on whether or not I really wanted to work in restaurants because, you know, it's so demanding physically and all that. Right. And um, so I decided, you know, this area, the Bay Area, is such a major food capital that I'd never lived in. And, you know, California was another place that I had always wanted to live and wanted to explore wine country. So I ended up, and I was working on a, 
a cookbook proposal. I wanted to write a cookbook because uh, I was on the Food Network and it seemed like a good time. But I just could not imagine writing a book living in New York City and, you know, trying to um, also sustain myself. So right, yeah. uh, it just seemed like the perfect time. You know, I had this vision of, oh, California, write the book. And, uh, and I'm glad I was here because I wrote it, you know, during the winter. And the produce, I mean, just is always amazing here. So I had access to good ingredients to be able to do my recipe testing. And that was your first book, right? And now you have a forthcoming... That was my first book almost 10 years ago. And now I have a new one, yeah, that's based on the restaurant that I opened almost seven years ago here in Oakland. Called Brown Sugar Kitchen, which I love the name. (laughs) Thank you. How did you get... We had fun. Sorry, go ahead. Say that again. Oh, no, I said we had fun putting together a concept. (laughs) Yeah, and it seems like that I I have not had the opportunity to eat at your restaurant, but reading about it and reading about your book, everyone talks about how it's about the food, but it's really about the vibe and the lifestyle sort of that you've created for people to enjoy when they interact with your cooking. Yeah, that's true. Um, I've always liked creating environment, and I like connecting people, and I think, you know, that kind of has to do with my background in studying languages and finding the common denominator. If you, even if your culture is really different and your, your language is different, um, but there's something we all have in common. And I like restaurants as that, you know, vehicle for that kind of connection. And I always wanted to create a restaurant that was accessible no matter what people's backgrounds were, you know. So, um, even though I was looking around town to do something a little bit more high-end, like a bistro, uh, found this space, and, the, you know, the location really dictates the concept, and it was just an underserved neighborhood with a strong um, African-American um, uh, heritage. And so I wanted to, you know, since it's my heritage as well, I thought, well, why don't I do something here that really reflects the community but welcomes people outside the community and with different backgrounds and um, it has just turned out that way so it's been really um, rewarding in that sense. So in coming up with the proposal for this book how did you frame it so that you send send people into their home kitchen and still get that same sense of being close to you and the the environment that you've created? Well I think you know the the profiles of the customers and our, our local vendors uh, really give people a sense of place and they can see that there's, you know, there's just no pretension around what we're doing. And, you know, it's, I always tell people, you know, the recipes are a guideline. Of course, put your own spin on it. Everything's going to be different. People are asking me, like, are you comfortable sharing your recipes? Well, of course. You know, everybody's hands are different. Right. And the sort of accessibility, I think, is really what, you know, making people gravitate towards the book, which is really fun for us. I've given, I teach cooking classes and I I have given people, like I I can give 12 people the exact same recipe for, um, I don't know, macaroni and cheese. And I will get 12 macaroni and cheeses that are distinctly different back again. (laughs) And I've written the recipe and it's incredible. I was a judge. Yeah, I was a judge for this um, community center they had uh, seven uh, youth cooks so like uh, 13 to 16 and they all made cakes from the same recipe and they are all they were all so different it was hilarious to see what they came up with but yeah I mean that's how it is and in the next what is it 10 days or so from now people can learn from you directly right tell me about savor the central coast 
Oh, yeah, that is going to be a fantastic event on the Central Coast um, at the Santa Margarita Ranch. And it is going to be a food and wine uh, extravaganza. This is their fifth year. So it's not like they're just, um, you know, they're not just doing it and just figuring it out. It's an established event that's won awards. And I will be there as well as Fabio Viviani, who, who is be? a top chef. Right. Um, He's going to be you know on this is? show. Yeah. yeah, he's going to be on this show next week also. Oh, great, great. Yeah, he's great, and he's doing, you know, his Italian flavors, and I'll be doing the Southern, and there's great, it's a really great wine region, so there's going to be some leading winemakers down there and artisan food purveyors, and, I mean, it's it's going to be great. So I hope people will come out and join us because um, I'll be doing two demonstrations. On Saturday, I'm cooking my Creole shrimp and grits, and on Sunday, I'm doing the uh, fried chicken and waffles that we're famous for. That sounds amazing. I have to tell you, we have um, New Jersey is famous for its diners, and we have one diner in particular yep. that is excellent. And the chef, it's not excellent. It's for a diner. It's ex- it's excellent diner food, but he makes chicken fingers dipped in waffle batter and then deep fried, so they they look like a chicken finger, but it's waffle batter. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting! Mind wow. blown. <laughs> I was like, why didn't anybody, my mind was completely blown. I was like, this is brilliant. (laughs) Wow. And it's it's, really interesting. It's Hmm, one of our favorite things. And I have to say, like, I've eaten, I've eaten really, really delicious food. I will, I will eat pedestrian diner food also and love it equally. I'm wondering how I can find a time portal and a ticket to this Savor the Central Coast event, though. If you go to SavorCentralCoast.com, you can see a short video that's been put together of past events and it just looks like you guys are going to have so much fun. Oh yeah. And you know, there's, I mean, it goes on and really visit the, I want to encourage everybody to visit the website because there's a special dinner Friday night that includes a copy of the book, uh, Brown Sugar and Barrels at the Cliffs Resorts. I'll be there as well signing and they're going to be interpreting um, some of my dishes from the cookbook and the cocktails are going to be great. There's going to be local craft beer, and you, I mean, what what else? What else say? do you need <laughs> to? There's nothing else you need to say. Tanya Holland, I am so glad to have gotten to meet you. You are absolutely charming and wonderful. When does the book come out? Oh, thank you. The book came out oh, last came Tuesday. Out. Oh, so excellent! It's exactly, it's been out exactly a week. Uh, you should be able to find it at local bookstores as well as on Amazon. And um, yeah, I'll be touring around um, to some other places down the line, but. Save with the Central Coast next weekend. It's going to be fabulous. So I hope to see some people there and hope they'll let me know that they heard us on the, uh, on your show. Awesome. Yeah. And if you come, if you come this way over to the East Coast, let me know you're going to be here and I would love to meet you for a cup of coffee. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Awesome. Will Have do. a great time. I will talk to you again soon. Okay. Take care, Emily. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. 
Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Sharp and Hot. I am Emily Peterson, your host coming to you live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I really want to fly to California and go to that event. That sounds like so much fun. Although I have to say, this time uh, of year in New York City is my absolute favorite. I just did a tour of a farmer's market with a group of people from an uh, investment banking firm, and they were not aware that there was a farmer's market right down the street from their building in Rockefeller Center. And it was just like, it's the height of the season. If you are in the New York growing region, go to your farmer's markets. You will not be disappointed. Um, okay, so we're going to get back to the roots of the show a little bit. And I'm going to answer a listener question. And I'm going to bring it back uh, on a weekly basis. Because when I'm out in the wild, people ask me questions all of the time. I have found that having people record a question is more challenging because everyone's concerned about what their voice sounds like, which is some obviously a concern I do not share. Um, but I'm just going to start sharing your questions. If you have questions, you can tweet me at Chef Emily P or send them to me at Chef Emily at sharpenhot.com or on Facebook forward slash sharp and hot. But we'll start with Jack because he is our producer and I can see him through the window. And I'm not concerned with what my voice sounds like. He's not concerned with what his voice sounds like. And he has a universal question that I get asked all the time. Shoot. Yes. More of looking for advice, I guess. It's not really a specific question. Just got a new apartment uh, with, of course, a bunch of hand-me-down kitchen equipment, including some knives that I'm unsure whether or not they're worth being sharpened or I should go out and get some knives. So kind of looking for some advice here. Okay, so when it comes to knives, some of the knives that I have are ancient, and I pick them up at garage sales or at flea markets. Barnes in Vermont have been very fruitful, but you and I've ended up with this kind of mishmash of old knives that if you take them to a knife sharpener, and you can do that in person at some place like the Broadway Panhandler if you live in New York City or in Chelsea Market, there's a woman there a couple of days a week. Alternately, you can mail them away to a knife sharpening specialist. The place that I use is called The Knife Spa. It's just knifespa.com. You mail your knife away. It goes to a knife spa for a couple of days. They take care of it and send it back to you. And I've had hand-me-down knives or garage sale knives come back brand new looking. Sharpened, cleaned up, absolutely beautiful. You can purchase new knives also, which is going to set you back a chunk of money. It doesn't have to set you back all of your money. But before you buy new knives, look at the knives that you have. And if they are worth sharpening, do that first. So the way that you know, I have to cough. Hang on one second. <clears throat> it's going to go a lot smoother now. <laughs> if you look at the back of the handle, and if you can see the metal that makes up the blade go all the way through the handle, it's called a full tang knife. And that that's sort of an a first indicator of quality. It's not guaranteed to mean that your, uh, you know, your knife was forged in the fires of Sauron, but it will. Um, it indicates that it's not just a plastic handle that's been affixed by glue to the blade, which will eventually separate when you, you know, if you've washed it enough times. So if you have a full tang knife, go ahead and have it sharpened. That's going to cost you anywhere from six to twenty-five dollars, depending on where you take it and 
how high end the place is. When you get it back, you'll know right away when you sl- try to slice a tomato or slice an onion or whatever, if it is something that was worth the $16 or if you're like, nah, I still want a new knife. If you want a new knife, I highly recommend a 10-inch chef's knife. It's big, and if you're not used to having a really big knife, it'll take a little while to get used to. But you want something that's big, bulky, and can do all of the tasks that you need it to. So you need it to be able to fine dice a shallot and also butcher a chicken. The 10-inch chef's knife will will do that for you. And there are very few tasks that it cannot do so long as you use your knife skills is a whole other conversation. Um, and then when you have your knife back from the sharpener or your brand new knife, which you can, if you go uh, to William Sonoma, they'll let you hold them. You can pick one that you like the feel of the handle. It's very personal. Some of them have wooden handles. Some of them have plastic handles. There are some where the knife is like it, the metal is forged to have its own handle and it has like the little black holes in it so that your hand doesn't sweat. I don't particularly like that one. I like the ones that have the plastic handle or the teak handle or whatever. So go and hold them and decide which weight and heft you like the best. Then it's important to take really good care of your knives. They will last forever. You can pass them down to future generations or sell them at yard sales when you're 100 if you take really good care of them. So when you see chefs sharpen their knives on the steel, which is the long metal spike that has a handle at the bottom. It's miss. I shouldn't call it a sharpening steel or say that it's being sharpened. It's actually called a honing steel and it's honing the blade because even a chef's knife that has what looks like a flat blade, if you look at it under a microscope is in fact serrated, you'll see little teeth. And as you use the knife and every time the blade comes in contact with the cutting board, the teeth get bent out of shape ever so slightly. And if before that bend reaches 45 degrees, you can use your honing steel. I like to do it once every time I use my knife. I just have it hanging on the wall next to where all my knives are. Take the steel down, three swipes on one side, three swipes on the other side, and that's it. And what it does is as those little teeth are getting knocked out of shape, the honing steel will bring them back into alignment. And this will prolong the sharpness of your edge for months, if not longer. Once uh, those little microscopic teeth go past 45 degrees or get really dinged up, then you have to have it professionally sharpened because no amount of the honing steel is going to actually sharpen the blade. So when you get your sharp knives, either new or back from the sharpener, you want to, I keep mine on a magnetic strip that's mounted to the wall. So they, I, they sell them at like the container store. You can get them online. Two, two holes that you drill into the wall and then you can just stick your knives to it. Although someone did point out to me that if the poles reverse, we're in big trouble. But I decided that if the poles reverse, whether or not my knives go flying off the wall is going to be the least of my concerns at that point. But um, you want the blades kept in a way that they are not being banged around. So not in a drawer and not being run over uh, into a wooden block either. If you have a wooden block on your counter because you like the look, flip your knife upside down so that it's the back of the blade that actually runs in and out of the wood instead of the blade trying to carve through a piece of oak every time you take it out or put it away. If you have to store them in a drawer, like you have absolutely no choice, you have no wall space for a magnetic strip, buy plastic knife guards, which are about $3 a piece, and you slip the blade into the guard, and then you can put it in a drawer and not worry about it getting banged around with the other knives or uh, into itself as you pull the drawer in and out. So 
These things will become habit as you take care of your your investment, which is the most important tool that you have in the kitchen. Hand wash them. Don't put them into the dishwasher because it'll cause the um, handle to deteriorate. And love them and take good care of them. And if you are someone who wants to learn how to sharpen knives on your own, there are plenty of YouTube videos out there that will educate you on how to use a whetstone. I find it to be very time-consuming, very onerous, and I'm not very good at it. And I use the power of a professional wherever I can. So I send them away to the knife spot. It's six bucks a knife. They come back shiny and new, and I absolutely love them. So, Jack, congratulations on your new apartment. Yeah, wow. Things are really looking up for me now. <laughs> I'm going to come over, and I want some like hand-cut uh, salsa, maybe, where you've minced yeah. everything. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm in the uh, early part of the first semester where I teach at two universities and we are going over knife skills. I've eaten a lot of salsa in the last week. Yeah, where should where should people learn about knife skills if that's the next question? Now if I if I get a great knife. Sure. So, if you go to I'll put in a plug for chefemilypeterson.com, there's a link uh, uh there's a sp- uh, thing to click on where it says videos and I did a whole bunch of videos with Astro Center a couple of years ago so there's how to slice and dice an onion how to peel a p- tomato how to blanch vegetables and there are a couple of other knife skill type videos but just like cruise around YouTube and look for ni- everybody wants to be on the Food Network and the first stop is put some YouTube videos up so if you just Google how to slice an onion video you will find you will find plenty of things to keep you busy. You'll find funny things. You'll find useful things. You'll find very unuseful things. And then you'll find yourself down a rabbit hole watching somebody butcher an octopus, which is what usually happens to me. Um, I'll tell one other quick thing about YouTube, and then I know we got to get off the air because Gail Simmons is coming up on the food scene right after this show. Well, 30 minutes after this show, so that'll be fun. So I have to free up the studio. But I was riding the PATH train home the other day, and... The person who wrote the theme song to Sharp and Hot is my friend Pete, who my husband went to high school with. He's an excellent friend of ours. His photograph is all over public transportation now because YouTube is doing an advertising campaign about how important YouTube is for consuming information. And Peter is is among the many people who are the faces of this ad campaign. So I'm standing in the pasture and who's looking at me, but Pete dressed up as Blackbeard because he does these videos called the Epic Rap Battles of History. Uh, If you are under the age of 30, you've probably heard of them. If you're over the age of 30, you've probably heard of them too. So I take out my cell phone to take a picture to to text to Pete. Me like, oh my God, you're on my train. And the lady, the conductor starts yelling at me like, you can't take a picture. I didn't realize that it was 9-11 and she might have been, her sensitivities might have been a little heightened, but... I said, oh, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I was, I went, my husband went to school with him. That's, I know him. He's my friend. I just wanted to send him the picture. And she was like, you know him? And the entire rest of the ride was her gushing about how much she loves epic rap battles of history. And it was totally adorable. And then I got home and was sharing this story with my husband who pulled out the, his mother's copy of People magazine that she had passed off because in the pages of People magazine this month is a story about Peter. And I think, Getting into the pages of people means that you have made it. And we have the Sharp and Hot theme song and Peter Shukoff to thank for that. So I want to just put out there that I am so incredibly proud of him and I send him all of the love and warmth and can't wait to see him again in the flesh. Meanwhile, I and the other 60 million YouTube fans will follow his career there. 
Uh, next week, we have Fabio Viviani coming on, and I'm hoping that in the next couple of days, I get my new delivery of craft coffee because I have run out of my August shipment. I absolutely love this service where they mail coffee directly to my door. I don't have to do anything. It's just in my mailbox once a month. I get exposed to artisan coffee from all over the world, roasters from all over. Sometimes they're from Brooklyn. Sometimes they're from Texas. They're from all over the place. And uh, if you go to craftcoffee.com and put in the code SHARP, they will graciously give you a 10% discount. So that being said, I'm off to teach a class. There will be knife skills involved. Next week is Chef Fabio, and I will see you next week. Keep playing with fire and knives. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.